I'm not really into um, racing cars, but occasionally um, I see a race, if it happens to be on telly. Uh, Marty rings me up and says the such and such is on tonight, and I watch it. And I just recently came across this race from 1979, the Daytona 500. It's kind of the biggest um, stock car race in the USA, uh, the Daytona 500. Now, the 1979 race was a big one. Uh, it was kind of the one where the Day- Daytona 500 went from obscurity to being kind of the, the race that everyone wanted to watch. And the reason was this. Uh, in the final lap, the guys who are coming first and second are just neck and neck uh, as to who's going to get over the fi- finish line first. Uh, Donny Allison, Dale Yarbrough are the two guys, and they're competing for first place. They come around the first corner of the final lap and they make contact and uh, swerve a little bit. And rather than keep going, they just get into this match of barging each other and trying to ram each other off the track. And they get more and more ferocious, and it ends that one of the guys just rams the other guy into the wall. They both go into a spin. They end up on the middle of the track in the grass, and the guy who's half a lap behind coming third just cruises on through to come first. And they're so upset with each other that, you know, 30 seconds later, they're down on the grass having a fist fight, uh, angry with, with each other that they both lost. So intent on being first, so preoccupied with wanting to win, they actually end up last. And that's not too dissimilar to the parable that we're looking at today, because did you notice the punchline in verse 16? The last will be first, and the first will be last. We're going to see that in this parable, Jesus warns us that we, who are in his kingdom, can be so preoccupied with our own greatness, so intent on getting our own rights, so intent on being first, that we can actually disqualify ourselves from the kingdom of God and actually make ourselves last. So this is a very important parable for us. Uh, Let's look at it together. Matthew 20, and we begin at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. In Griffith, where I grew up, there was always lots of seasonal work. So school holidays or when you're on uni break, you could pretty much rock up and get a job. Uh, No interview, you just kind of turned up on the morning. And whether it was grape picking or um, fruit picking like peach picking, whether it was lettuce chipping, the weeds out of the late Yates lettuce paddock, Um, Onion peeling, which was probably the worst. Um, You just kind of turn up and you get a job for the day. And that's what's happening here in this parable that Jesus is telling. People are turning up at the marketplace looking for work for the day. And we got paid by what we did, like so much, $1.30 for a bucket of grapes or so much for a barrel of onions. And I lasted one day at onion peeling and I didn't even fill one barrel. But here they're not paid by the bucket or by the barrel. They're paid by the day. Did you notice the agreement? One denarius for one day's work. Um, I actually found some denariuses on eBay and I was going to buy one and bring it in to show you all. It's a little um, coin from uh, 2,000 years ago, but they were going for about $200 on eBay, so I thought, forget that. But um, basically, a denarius was a silver coin. It was worth a day's wages. So that would be the equivalent today. Greg Bennett tells me you pick up a labourer for a day for about $150. So the idea is, you fellas, come and work for me for the day. I'll pay you fairly, pay you $150 for the day. And they go off to work in the vineyard under that agreement. 
Three hours go past. So that would have been six o'clock, the first hour in the morning. It's now the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. And the landowner's down at the marketplace. He sees some more fellas. He recruits them in for a job. They're sitting around doing nothing. Verse 20. Oh, sorry, verse 3 of chapter 20. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So, of course, the deal's not a denarius now because the day is a quarter gone. The deal is, go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. At the end of the day, I'll pay you what's fair. I'm guessing they're thinking, you know, three quarters of a denarius, whatever that relates to. Out they go. Three more hours go by. It's now lunchtime, 12 o'clock, starting to warm up a bit. The day's half over. The landowner is down at the marketplace again. He grabs some more workers. Three o'clock in the afternoon, the same thing. Verse 5, he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and did the same thing. Starts to get a bit crazy, though, doesn't it, when at five o'clock in the afternoon, it's one hour till knock-off time, he grabs some more workers, verse 6. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing round. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? No one's hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. This is five o'clock in the afternoon. It's basically an hour till knock-off time. The other guys have been working 11 hours. They worked a 12-hour day. Aren't you thankful you live here? I know some farmers now work a 12-hour day. But this is five o'clock. The guys are looking at their watch thinking one hour to go, and in come the new workers. Well, one hour later, six o'clock, it's knock-off time. Time to bundy off and get paid. Now, to the great surprise to the guys who've worked the longest, the guys who were there uh, from six o'clock in the morning... Everyone gets paid the same amount. It doesn't matter whether you've put in a full 12-hour day or it doesn't matter whether you did a little one hour in the cool afternoon. Everyone gets paid the same. So how do you reckon the guys who've been working out in the hot sun all day feel about these one-hour slackers getting paid the same as then? Verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. Do you get it? The guys who worked an hour get paid 150 bucks. So when those who who were hired first came, they expected to receive more. So you can think, man, if these guys who worked an hour got paid for a day, imagine what we're going to get. This guy's generous. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And, of course, it does sound a bit unfair, doesn't it? I mean, I've read this parable heaps of times. I know where it's going. I know Jesus is going to say the landowner has the right to do what he wants with his money. But if you've been working there all day and these guys get paid as much as you do, you feel a bit ripped off. It seems unfair, and that's what they complain about. Verse 12. These men who were hired last worked only an hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Equality is an interesting thing, isn't it? We all want equality. It's kind of motherhood and apple pie. We all want to be treated the same as everyone else, except when we deserve more. We don't want equality if 
we've worked harder than other people. If someone's sitting around all day, we don't want to be equal with them. One of the places that I used to work had, um, they brought in a new pay structure and you might know how it works. When you're in the public service, there's certain pay grades and according to your performance, that's where you get put. And they brought in a new pay structure and they had to move us each from the old system of pay grades over to the new one. And the, the deal was no one was going to go backwards. We'd all either go straight across or if we were performing well, we'd go up. And so here's how it worked. One by one, each person was called into the manager's office and he'd look, do an assessment of how you'd worked and he'd say, well, look, you're here and based on how you're doing, we think we'll move you across to here. Now, what was interesting was the amount of people who, when they went into the office and had the chat with the boss, they thought they were getting a great deal. They were going up a pay grade. They were getting a rise. Fantastic. The boss says um, he ended each interview with, um, are you happy with this? And people would say, yeah, absolutely, that's great. I'm getting a rise. Till they got out of the office and talked to the other people and found out that there was other people going up two pay grades. And then people started getting jealous and thinking they should go up two pay grades. See, it's okay if the boss is generous to us, but not if he's generous to other people and we're left out. Uh, people felt it, they thought it was fair when it was just them and the boss, but when they start comparing, maybe it's unfair. Now, that's similar to the parable here, isn't it? But the point of the parable is that everyone gets a fair deal. See, the people who worked 12 hours and who got paid a denarius, they got what they deserved. That was fair. That's what they'd agreed on. The people who worked one hour, they got more than they deserved, so it was fair, but it was also generous. Look at verse 13. This is the owner's answer to the grumbling. He answered them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. He's talking to the guys who've worked hard all day. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? They did. That was the deal. Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm jealous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. And that's the point of Jesus' parable. It's not that the owner was unfair, it's that the owner was generous, and it's not just that he was generous, he was generous in a way that shakes us up a bit. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. God's kingdom is not about you get what you earn. God's generosity unsettles our nice ideas of we get what we deserve, and that's why we find it hard to come to terms with. That's why even after we start out becoming a Christian and following Jesus and saying, yes, we're saved, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus done, has done, so easily we fit into this comparing ourselves with others and thinking that we deserve something. And in fact, this parable is deliberately provocative, isn't it? I mean, the way Jesus has set it up, if the landowner had paid people the other way around, there wouldn't be a problem. I mean, if he paid the hard workers first, they've worked for a day, he gives them their denarius, he says, goodbye, go home, they go home. And then he says to the last guys who worked an hour, look, you know, don't tell the other guys, but I'm going to be generous with you. Here's a denarius. Everyone's happy. But that's not what happened. He paid the one-hour workers first, right in front of the 12-hour workers, and then these guys are thinking, man, what are we going to get? 
But of course, they don't get what they thought they deserved, although they actually got exactly what they deserved. The parable is deliberately trying to stir us up. It's trying to show us how outrageous God's generosity is. I mean, if, if it was just about God's generosity, Jesus could have told a story about there was a man, he was a, a rich landowner, he had um, four denarius and he just went out and found four beggars who didn't deserve it and he gave them each a denarius. And we'd think, gee, what a generous fellow. But that's not what the parable's about, is it? It's trying to show us that God's generosity, it actually upsets our sense of fairness. Uh, that's the beauty of this parable. It challenges us when we think about what we deserve. That's why the punchline is verse 16. The last will be first and the first will be last. God is so generous that when someone receives his generosity, they become the first. And God is so generous that those who miss out, those who don't receive God's generosity, they actually end up the last. And so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now that point's made even clearer as we look at what comes before the parable and what comes after the parable. So let's have a look at that now. Flip back with me to chapter 19, just before this parable, and we'll pick it up at verse 16. So this is just before Jesus told this parable. This is what's going on. A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? See, here's a fellow, and already he's kind of in the category of, you know, earning. How can I get into heaven? How can I, what good thing must I do? And uh, we see, as we read on in verse 20, that this fellow is a good fellow, and we see in verse 22 he's actually fairly well off. And I'd be thinking if you're in that category of who's first and who's last, then you'd have to say this guy would be one of the first. He's kept the Ten Commandments, so he's a religious good fellow. He's doing well financially, so even in worldly terms, he's, he's first, he's well off. He's up there. But in the kingdom of God, he's last. Because look at verse 21. Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, if you want eternal life, go, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. See, Jesus is offering to this man to really be first, to actually not just be first financially, but to be first in the kingdom of God. Jesus is offering this guy, verse 21, treasure in heaven. But the man goes away sad. The man goes away empty. He goes away last in the kingdom of God. And uh, if you've been reading through Matthew, he reminds me of the religious guys back in Matthew 6. I mean, you, you, early on in Matthew, you meet these whole lot of religious leaders and they are really good people. They give away their money to the poor. They're in the synagogues, like the, the Jewish um, equivalent of church, and they pray out the front. And Jesus says to them, look it up later, Matthew 6, 2, but this is what he says to these good religious people. I tell you the truth, you have received your reward in full. In other words, 
you guys who think you're so good, there'll be no reward for you in the kingdom of heaven. You've got all the glory that you're going to have now. Well, it seems all this talk with Jesus and the rich man and about rewards in heaven and uh, giving up stuff to get rewards then gets Peter thinking. And so he's got a question about perhaps his reward. Verse 27. Peter answered Jesus, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? It's an interesting question. I almost expect um, Jesus to rebuke Peter and say, Peter, don't you get it? It's not actually about what you'll get. But Jesus doesn't. He's very gracious. He's encouraging to Peter. And again, if we're thinking kind of last first categories, I'm guessing Peter is meant to be the kind of last because what we see last week and the week before, we saw the kingdom of God is insignificant. It's small. It looks pathetic. And so in Jesus' day, to give up your fishing job like Peter did and follow Jesus round, well, that would be pretty insignificant. Peter would look like one of the last, look like he's missing out. But what's Jesus say? Verse 27, Jesus says, God is actually incredibly generous to those who give things up to follow Jesus. Verse 27, Peter answered him, "What? we've left everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And here's this little phrase, the same one that's in the parable. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Do you see the point? The people who think they're first, well-off, good, rich, they'll be last in the kingdom of God. And the people who are the last, who give up stuff for Jesus, they'll be first. And uh, it's not just what comes before the parable. Look at what comes after it. Flip over to Matthew 20, verse 17. This is straight after Jesus tells the parable of the workers. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man, that's Jesus, will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death. They'll turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. You see, right after Jesus talks about the last being first and the first being last, he is actually the the model of what it means to put yourself last. Jesus is mocked, he's flogged, he's spat on, he's killed, he lets himself be crucified on a cross, he takes upon himself our judgment, he makes himself the last. And so in the kingdom of God, he becomes the first. He becomes the king. And then what happens very next after this? We won't look at it now. I'll let you read on. But basically, the disciples get into an argument about who's going to be first. They start getting into an argument about who's going to be sitting at Jesus' right hand in the kingdom of God. But the point is, if you want to be first, you're not going to end up first. The first will be last and the last 
will be first. Which I think begs the question, doesn't it, what kind of person are you here this morning? Are you the first kind of person, the rich man kind of person, the worker in the vineyard who works all day and wants to get what they deserve kind of person? Or are you the last kind of person, the person who knows that they don't deserve anything? Maybe you're the first kind of person. Are you the kind of person who actually thinks you're pretty good? Not that you'd say it like that, um, but you know, you know that you're a hard worker for God and you deserve some kind of credit for the work that you've done. You know, you, you do the hard yards, you turn up, turn up to church when you don't feel like it, you turn up to working bees, you work harder than other people, and you wouldn't say it, but you look round and you think, well, other people, they're not pulling their weight as much as I do. And I've made some pretty tough choices for God and I've sacrificed things financially. And you look around at other people and you think, well, uh, as a Christian, I'm doing a bit better than they are. And so maybe, maybe just subtly you think that you don't want to be treated equal to everyone else. You actually deserve to be treated a little bit better. You actually deserve a bit more recognition than the person who does less than you. Because after all, you are a harder worker and you are more dedicated to Jesus than lots of other people. Maybe you even think that you deserve better in your marriage or you deserve better at work, or you deserve better at church. Now, if that's the way you think, if you think you deserve more, this parable should come as a rebuke, because you haven't understood the kingdom of God at all. It's not about what you deserve. It's actually like, it's possible to be like those two fellows in the car race that are just so preoccupied with being first, they don't actually see that they've disqualified themselves. You can be so obsessed with being first in the kingdom of God that you can disqualify yourself from the kingdom of God altogether. Because, see, God is not interested in who's the best. God's not interested in who's working the hardest. That's the way people back in Matthew 6 thought, and they ended up with no reward. That's the way the first workers in the parable worked, who worked all day thought, they deserved to be paid, and they ended up jealous and complaining. If you approach this parable and you think that you're a hard worker for God, you're like those early risers, you think you're pretty good, you'll be disappointed. Because the kingdom of God is not about getting what you deserve. The kingdom of God is about sinners being forgiven. Gee, none of us deserve anything. If you genuinely are like that, if you genuinely think that you don't deserve anything, if you've grasped hold of how much God has forgiven you like we saw last week, if you realise that no matter what you do, you actually don't deserve even the lowest place in the kingdom of God. If you're perhaps ignored at school or work because you follow Jesus and you're not invited out with other people and you feel unpopular. Maybe you feel a bit like the, the five o'clock worker who in the big picture of things, you don't have a real lot to offer. 
Well, if you're like that, then you're going to be blown away by the generosity of God. Because if you really are one of the last, if you realize that you don't deserve anything, then in the kingdom of God, see, you'll be first. Because God is very generous to those who put themselves last. What to think about in this parable, isn't there? I hope that you go home and read it some more uh, as families and by yourselves. But in the end, I hope you say this. The kingdom of God, it's not about us. It's not about what we do for God. In the kingdom of God, it's about a generous God and how incredibly generous he is to us. The last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Father God, we know that you are an incredibly generous God. We know it because you've proven it to us. You gave Jesus, your son, to die for us. We don't deserve it. We know that we deserve to be judged by you, by the things that we do wrong. And for those of us who are in your kingdom, who are following Jesus, Father, that's how we started off. We know that we deserve nothing and that you are generous. Father, somehow it's, it's just so insidious. After beginning like that, we can just start to think that somehow we deserve something. Somehow we're not getting a fair deal. Somehow you, you're overlooking us. Father, please forgive us when we forget that we deserve nothing. Please forgive us when we start to compare ourselves to other people. Father, having started out relying on Jesus' generosity, please don't let us start relying on what we've done. Help us to keep relying on your generosity right to the end. We pray that when Jesus returns or when we're on our deathbed or ever, we wouldn't be thinking about all the great stuff we've done for you and what we deserve. We pray that even then, we'd be still begging you for mercy, knowing that we don't deserve anything. And Father, thank you that you're a generous God. And we pray that this week, as your people, we'd be generous with each other. Amen.